All right, you can take your seats. All right. On a totally unrelated note, I need your help with something today. So I'm going to ask you if you would just kind of use your imagination. Um, if you've got to close your eyes, close your eyes. Uh, I just want to ask you if you would just to clear your minds because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a picture in your mind for just a moment. It's a really important picture. I need you to kind of wrap your brain around it. So are we good? Mind's clear? All right, what I want you to do is I want to, I want to ask you if you would to picture me in a leotard. That was not the reaction I was looking for. <laughs> I don't understand where that came from. Is it? Well, I fueled your nightmares. Okay. So uh, there's me in a leotard. And uh, now what I want you to imagine is I want you to imagine over here off center here, maybe over in this area, a trapeze hanging right down with me in a leotard in that trapeze. All you, you folks in the, you're welcome. You get like the front line seat up there in the balcony to all of this glory. So there I am in a, in a leotard on that trapeze. This is a true story. I'm just kidding. It is not a true story. What you have is me. You've got me on that trapeze. And uh, how many of you have ever been to like a circus, like a legit circus under a big top where there's trapeze? Or maybe you've been to Cirque du Soleil. You've seen, I mean, this is, the things that these people do are just absolutely amazing. And, I mean, they're swinging, they're flipping themselves around, all kinds of acrobatics, and it's really amazing. The lights, the shadows, all of it is really, really amazing. The most exciting part for me, though, whenever I've seen those things, is actually what happens over here. And they're doing their business over here, but pretty soon, all of a sudden, you see movement take place over here. And you see this empty trapeze start getting swung out. Then, all of a sudden, what you see is... Rich Doring, over here on this trapeze, swinging harder and harder, right? And you know what's about to happen. That person, not me, is about to fling themselves through the air. And, and you know, lights and shadows and dark and fog, and that's, that makes it all a whole lot more exciting because you can't see everything over here really, really clearly, right? And so this thing is swinging. You're swinging over here, and all of a sudden, there's going to come a moment where you let go of this one. And pray and hope that the other one is there to grab onto so that you can safely arrive on the other side. Okay, so hang on to that picture for just a minute. Not me, but that, the trapeze thing. Okay, so in our series on the Apostles' Creed, our focus has been on what has united Christians through the ages. Uh, our, ser our focus this year has been one, what does it look like for a church to be one in a world that's divided? And we all come together underneath these main truths of the Christian faith, these things that unite Christians throughout the ages. The question that we've really kind of asked as we've gone through this is, what do we have? So when we recite the Apostles' Creed like we did at the beginning of the service, we're not just saying what we believe, we're actually professing what we have because of what we believe in that creed. Okay, so the answer thus far in this series really quickly has been, we have a loving Father. We believe in our Father, who, our Creator, an Almighty God. We have a loving Father who welcomes us home. 
The way home is Jesus, the suffering servant. We talked about that last week. That leads us to today. You see it on the screen. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Let's go back to that trapeze. I know you're super excited, okay? One of the reasons that the authors of the Apostles' Creed put down core beliefs is that there were some people uh, in that day, and it still happens today, that had moved away from a couple of things in regards to the tenets of the Christian faith. They really struggled with the miracles, okay? And very specifically, the resurrection. The idea of the resurrection of the dead. So it's not uncommon, it really isn't, for people to reject the resurrection of Jesus and instead kind of opt for uh, more of a spiritual resurrection instead of a physical one. Okay, so hang with me here. Kind of the idea that, you know, Jesus died and the God part of Jesus separated from his earthly body and maybe it was the God part of Jesus, you know, that, that appeared to the disciples after he rose from the dead. And, and maybe it was the God part of Jesus that finally ascended into heaven. But the idea of like a literal, physical resurrection from the dead, I want you just to think about what we say we believe for a second. There's dead, and then there's alive. We say that we believe that Jesus died. We sang about it and literally physically rose from the dead. He breathed again. Okay. Now, that trapeze is out there, right, in the dark, and it's hard for some people to let go of the one and grab onto the other when it comes to the resurrection. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe in God, and, and I believe in Jesus. Billions of people today on this planet believe in God. Billions of people today think Jesus, pretty good guy. Okay, there, there are billions of people that believe in God and Jesus. The Holy Spirit, that one for people is a little harder to define, but if you want to lump them all together and make the Trinity, that's fine. We'll believe in the Holy Spirit too because we believe in God and we believe in Jesus. What about the virgin birth? We like Christmas. So yeah, I like the virgin birth too. The virgin birth, I'll believe in the virgin birth. The suffering, the death, the burial of a man named Jesus, there are other texts that support that. So, okay, okay. But rising from the dead. Rising from the dead. I mean, dead is... dead. <laughs> dead is dead. To say you believe in the resurrection takes your belief to a different level. Letting go of one trapeze and entering into the faith that there's something to grab onto on the other side. And listen, questioning the reality and the fact of the resurrection, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. Uh, one school of thought that was prevalent in, in Jesus' day in those first couple of centuries after the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that the resurrection was a story that was told by Jesus' followers because the whole Messiah thing didn't work out the way that they thought it was going to work out. So to keep the movement going, they said, well, man, he's not dead, so let's keep going, let's keep going. So it was, it was kind of this idea that there was a story. Another line of thinking was, if we talk about a resurrection, it gives the Jesus movement a little bit more meaning. I mean, 
Jesus' teachings were really, really good. They, they were really, really good. His ethics, his morals, those are amazing. I mean, we love what Jesus is all about. Listen, if we throw a resurrection into the story, that just takes it up a notch. That makes it a really, really powerful story. As followers of Jesus, though, we don't say we believe in the idea of a resurrection. We believe that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. We believe he appeared to his disciples physically and other people as well for 40 days. We believe that physically he ascended into heaven. We believe he's actually alive today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's why we're here. We reach out to that trapeze in faith uh, the first day of the week. That's why we're here today. If, if, if we're here and we don't believe in the resurrection, I mean, the Packers are playing the Giants right now in London, and there's a game that I'm sacrificing to be here for you. Uh, what are we doing here? Each Sunday is a mini Easter. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus rose, and one day we are going to rise from the dead too? Okay. What we're talking about here are miracles, right? Rising from the dead, that's a miracle. Okay. We're talking about miracles, and to most people, the miraculous, including a resurrection, is a little bit of a step too far. I've had those conversations. It's a step too far. In fact, Thomas Jefferson, the founding father of our nation, the primary author of the Declaration of Independence that we revere so highly, he created a Bible for himself. And he had actually edited out all of the unexplainable miracles, including the resurrection. His commitment was to the good teachings of Jesus. He said, I'm an actual Christian because I believe in the moral teachings of Jesus. And can I just say for a second, I totally get the potential attractiveness of that. I do. Um, just last week, we love the figure of Jesus. The love, the mercy, the compassion, the forgiveness, the generosity of Jesus, the, the children coming to Jesus. We, we love all of that about Jesus until Jesus jumps kind of out of the box that we create for him and throws himself up on a cross. See, that's when things start getting sticky. That's when things with Jesus start getting messy. And Jefferson, he needed a box to put Jesus in so he could explain Jesus. But without the resurrection, listen closely, all you have without the resurrection is a really, really, really good, moral, loving teacher and a dead body. That's all you have without the resurrection. We believe, when we say this, we believe Jesus' story and our story does not end in death. We believe death has been defeated and we have a living Savior. Do we believe that today? I believe that you believe that. Do we believe that? Maybe you're wondering, you know, why, why do we need a resurrection? Can we just live as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, we talked about this last week too. The world would be a whole lot better if people acted more like Jesus, right? So, I mean, can we just not live out the, the 
the ethic, the ethos of Jesus, living as he would want us to? Can we do that? Well, in this series, we've asked that question again, what do we have? If we say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that he rose on the third day, that he ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he lives today, what do we have? When we recite the creed, yes, we are declaring what we believe, but we're also declaring what we have, what we as one church have. So when it comes to the resurrection, then, what do we have? We have a loving Father who welcomes us home, and the way home is Jesus, the suffering servant. He's a shepherd, resurrected. He's a shepherd, resurrected. When we say we believe Jesus rose from the dead, we aren't just stating that we believe a fact. We're stating a belief in what that fact means for us. It means that we, you and I, have a shepherd, resurrected. And in our remaining time this morning, I just want to talk about that resurrected shepherd and who he is. In John chapter 10, Jesus by that point had gotten the attention of the religious leaders of the day. They didn't like him. They were looking for ways to trip him up. Uh, They were upset because he was kind of stealing their thunder a little bit, stealing their influence. People were starting to follow him. And he had no problem calling out religious hypocrisy, which they literally built their lives on. So uh, it was, there was tension that was going on. And uh, Jesus was a threat to their religious establishment. So in John chapter 10, Jesus kind of pauses a little bit. He gets a little poetic, but he lays out this really clear understanding of who he is. I want to tell you who I am. And I want to read a portion of this for you. It's John chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. You'll see it on the screen. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he, the hired hand, sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, though. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one one flock and one shepherd. And he says this, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down I've got authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There's something you need to know about sheep. Um, If you take sheep, a flock of sheep, and take them to a field, they'll eat all the grass down to the dirt. They'll eat all the grass, and then they'll just stand there. They'll just stand there. 
Across the road, maybe, is another field, another pasture full of grass. They literally will just stand there. They won't go to the next field. You have to lead sheep. Sheep have to be led to pasture. He makes me lie down in green pastures, meaning he leads me to those places. Sheep have to be led. Um, Jesus does not compare us to sheep here to kind of humiliate us or make us feel stupid. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is talking about us as sheep so that we're going to understand more about who he is, the good shepherd. That's why he talks this way. Verse 10 says, The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. The Rich Doring translation of that, real life. Jesus has come to give us real life, full life. The last few years have been difficult, haven't they? How many of you the last few years have just been whoopee? Like, this has been the best time of my life, okay? No, right? The last few years have been hard. It doesn't feel like things get easier either, does it? How many of you feel like you're going through something right now? Okay. There's been trials, there's been division, there's been sickness. Even our church, as I mentioned earlier, pastoral transitions, recovering from COVID, Stress, pain, hurt, change. Lots and lots of change. Change never stops. But can we agree that there are times when life does not feel abundant? Are you in that camp with me? There are times when, if I had to look from a purely rich adoring perspective, life does not feel abundant. It doesn't feel abundant. And when life is difficult, when it feels like things are stacked up against you, when it just feels like one thing after another, like I feel like the last few years have been, it is a very good time to remember this. The good shepherd is leading us into abundant life, not away from it. God is leading you into abundant life. Abundant life does not mean a life with no problems. And so let's dig a little bit deeper here. He talks about a thief here in this section of scripture. He talks about how the thief comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. In my mind, the greatest thief is death. I hate death. Um, Every once in a while this happens. This week as I was writing this, I had to stop at this point because if I can just be open with you, I get really, really angry. Is that okay? I hate death. I hate it. Immediately when I think about this, I think about the people that I've lost way too young. I think about my parents who aren't here anymore. Uh, I think about all of this stuff. Even a few months, my dad died. My mom died in 2011. My dad died in April of 2018. And I remember kind of going through that summer, my father-in-law and my, my in-laws were in town that August, and uh, he and I were driving somewhere. And he asked me how I was doing. My initial immediate response was, I'm angry. I'm angry. Because death is a thief. Isn't it? Death is a thief. We were not designed for it. We were not meant for it. It was not meant for you and I to experience. That was not a part of God's plan. Death is a robber, death is a thief, a stealer, a killer. I hate death. (laughs) I hate it. 
So how is Jesus going to bring us life and bring it abundantly? He says this, the hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, though. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm not a hired hand. This is personal. These sheep are mine. You belong to me. You're mine. When Jesus sees you, when he sees us, he sees something we're dying for. Not just that, he actually sees something in someone worth living for too. Worth living for. He is not going to quit when life gets hard. In fact, he says in this passage, as the wolf comes, he will not flee. He will put himself in the gap. So 2,000 years ago, when shepherds roamed the Middle East, They'd take their sheep from field to field, from pasture to pasture. But then when night came, it was dangerous. There were robbers, there were thieves, there were wild animals. And so that shepherd had to protect those sheep. So what would happen is they'd take them to some kind of a pen. Maybe there was a fence. Or many times, because they'd be out out in the wilderness a little bit, they'd take them to some geographical structure, an outcropping or something. Something where those sheep would be protected on most sides. But then that shepherd would do something specific. They would lay down in the gap. They would lay down in in that spot. The goal was to protect those sheep from death. So the shepherd would lay down in the entrance so that nothing could get in to kill the sheep. He would lay down in the gap, would lay his life down for the sheep to protect them. And he uses a very specific animal here, the wolf. El lobo, the wolf. That wolf that Jesus described, he's not talking about the hardships of life. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about sin and death. That's the wolf, which has come to steal your life and my life. It's sin and death. The wolf represents finality, the end. It's his teeth. And in those teeth, the teeth of the wolf, there's no escape. And so the shepherd lays down their life to protect the sheep from the wolf, the thing that keeps us from abundant life. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of a big snarling wolf. I think of teeth. That's what I think of. I think of teeth. A wolf's greatest tool, other than maybe its intimidation factor, is its teeth. Sinking those teeth into life and holding on with no escape. That's a a wolf's greatest asset. Now, I want you to think for a second. I want you to imagine a, a wolf with no teeth. Is it still a wolf? Yeah, it's still a wolf. Can it snarl? Can it be menacing? Can it slobber? Uh, act like a threat? Absolutely. But let me ask you, how long would it take you to realize that none of that matters. None of it matters. The wolf has no teeth. Is the wolf pleasant? Is the wolf something you look forward to encountering? No, but it is powerless. 
The wolf now is powerless. In Jesus' death and resurrection, our shepherd resurrected broke the teeth out of the mouth of the wolf. It's exactly what he did. When Jesus laid down his life, when he laid himself in the gap for you and for me, and he rose in the resurrection, he beat death. He beat it. He won the fight against the thing that robs us of life, of abundant life. We don't have to fear death anymore. Jesus lived, he lived in perfect obedience to God. He was tempted like us, but he never sinned. He died on a cross. He took the death that we earned by our sin. Romans tells us the wages of our sin is death. Our sin earns us death. He broke the teeth of sin and death, though, to give you and I real life. A resurrected shepherd. And he did it because he's the good shepherd. The good shepherd. He will lead you to abundant life. It does not mean that there's no challenges. It doesn't mean there's no pain or difficulty or sickness. It doesn't mean there's no trials. Uh, abundant life, though, real abundant life, though, is the opposite of sin and death. Abundant life is peace with God. It's, it's peace with one another. Uh, and peace is the absence of sin. Peace is the absence of death. Is there still pain and problems and even death? Is death still there? Yeah, but it doesn't have any teeth. It has no teeth. For those who put their faith in Jesus, we can say literally with the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where, O death, is your victory? Hey, death, where's your sting? It's not there. O death, where are your, where are your teeth? Where's your teeth? It doesn't exist anymore in Jesus Christ. Since the very, very beginning, sin has brought us war, murder, disappointment, death, abuse, abandoned children. I mean, you, you just name it. Sin has brought all of that. It's brought death. And, we, and yet when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we declare we believe he rose again on the third day and lives today. We are declaring that Death has no teeth. Death has no hold on us. We sang about it this morning. Death has no grip on those who profess a faith in a living shepherd resurrected, in a living Savior. That's who we have. It has no hold. We've placed ourselves under the care of the one who lays down his life only to pick it back up again. That's an amazing Jesus, isn't it? That he would lay down his life and have full authority to pick it back up again. Nobody makes him lay his life down. He chooses to do it. And he chooses to pick it back up again too. And he chooses that because of you. Because you're not just worth dying for, you're worth living for. He lives for you. John 10, 17 through 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. We, what do we have? We have a loving Father who welcomes us home. The way home is Jesus, the suffering servant, but he's also a shepherd resurrected. Resurrected. I want to encourage you today. I'm so thrilled to be your pastor. I'm so thrilled to be able to 
discern what the words real life mean. (laughs) And there's so many times I think that we trade out what real life is for substitutes and counterfeits. And I, I understand the temptation too when life does get hard, when there are challenges, to maybe reappropriate our attention and our faith towards other things or even people or systems. And then I just come back to this, this issue that there is literally the only, the only reason I'm standing here today <laughs> is because of this, this resurrected Savior who for some reason one day showed me his love and invited me to put my faith in him. And somehow in the midst of all of that, I experience real life. There's so many mysteries to our faith I can't explain. I can't explain why I'm standing here today. But for Jesus. But for the fact that we have a living Savior who guides and directs and leads and gives us a hope. I told you earlier I had to pause this week. And I hate it. I don't throw that word around a lot, but I do. I, I hate the fact that not only do I hate death, but then when I think about it, I have to stop. I hate that I have to stop. <laughs> because I became overwhelmed sitting in my office. And then I'm reminded of the back part of this message. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. Death has no teeth. There's, there's nothing in it that can hold us We're free today because we have a free Savior who offers us freedom through free grace and free mercy and compassion and love. He loves you. He loves you enough to die for you, but he loves you enough to live for you, and he's with you today. He's with you today. That's what we say when we say he rose again on the third day. It's huge. And we do it by faith. We do it by faith. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. You may realize right now you need to put your faith in Christ. Maybe some of the stuff that we've talked about, maybe the resurrection has been a hang-up for you. Maybe even today uh, you just recognize that... um, even in talking about death. We don't put our faith in Jesus to escape death. We put our faith in Jesus to experience life. He has life for all of us. I want to invite you to put your faith in Jesus today. I'm going to pray a prayer. If, if God leads you to pray this right where you are in your heart, I want to encourage you to follow me in that, but let me pray. Father, I just come before you today. I recognize that in my own life that I have fallen short. Father, I know that there's sin in my life. I know that none of us is perfect. But Father, I admit my imperfection to you. Father, it says in your Bible that the wages of that sin is death. but your gift is eternal life through Jesus. I want to experience life today. I don't want to live in fear. 
I don't want to live in regret. But I want to experience freedom in you today. So I put my faith and my trust in you. Father, I don't even know exactly everything that that means today. But this journey begins today with one step. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I accept his death and his resurrection for me. And today I profess, he is my shepherd resurrected. He is my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that today, I want to encourage you, grab me, grab a staff member, let us know. But uh, can, I, can I just pray a blessing over you before we go? Let me do that today. Father, uh, in your mercy and in your grace, you've brought us here today. Now we go out. Help us to love others well. Help us to love you. Help us to serve the world, Father, that you've put us in. And help us to see it through Jesus' eyes. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.